Welcome to Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican, where we talk about what was said on Sunday, or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello, Dave. G'day, Beck. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Excellent. Well, that's just you and me today. It is. So let's get into it. Um, Give us a recap of your sermon on Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday we hit uh, Jesus beginning his ministry. uh, And we saw that he starts his ministry in Galilee. Now, Galilee of all places was completely decimated. Uh, The two northern tribes that were there, the Assyrians came, knocked them over. Uh, And so it's like the most unexpected place. Like it's the dark place, um, you know, that you go, why would Jesus start his ministry here? Um, But again, making a a point of uh, he's he's starting it there to fulfill scripture. Uh, And then we see him start his ministry and he, he preaches the same sermon, very short one, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, And then he goes on to find workers for the kingdom. And uh, I had my three Fs. Um, I don't know whether it came off, but it was at least memorable. Um, They've, you know, we we need to flip, we need to follow, and we need to go fishing. That's what it means to sort of be a worker uh, for the the kingdom. And flip is repentance. Mm -hmm. Um, Just was, I couldn't go repentance, you know, follow fish. It just didn't, it just didn't work (laughs) for me. So I was... I needed, you needed the, that alliteration. I needed it badly yeah. <laughs> um, to uh, you know help me sleep better at night. So mm-hmm. um, yes, yeah, so it was a flip, follow, and fish. Sounds good. All right. Well, we've got some questions um, about your sermon, and let's start in Galilee as Jesus started his ministry there. Yes, seems um, appropriate. It's it biblical does. for us to start. Yeah, it's fulfilling <laughs> scripture, Beck. There we go. Look at us go. Um, okay. So some questions about the religious. Um, culture mm. of the region of Galilee, Naphtali, um, where Jesus starts preaching. What do we know about Galilee at the time? Uh, yeah, I wasn't alive back then. Um, oh. <laughs> that's for my kids if they ever listen, because they think I'm really old. Um, uh, we assume uh, that the region was quite irreligious mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, its you know, culture of the day. Um, and I think uh, you were saying before, not in this, but as we were getting ready, yep. you know, uh, a bit of a mix mm-hmm. in terms of who's around. Um, and we can get a mix of people, mix of cultures, mixture of opinions. Um, so I, I would say the religious culture is probably predominantly pagan mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what's going on around yep. that region. But on the plus side, that'll mean that people are open to new ideas. Yes. Um, and Jesus... While he's a fulfilment of the Old Testament, certainly is bringing some new ideas to bear. Uh, uh, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So it was strategic as well as a fulfilment of prophecy, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so predominantly pagan, but someone's pointed out that Capernaum had a synagogue at the time um, that Jesus was there. So there must have been some Jews there as well as Gentiles. What do you think? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, where there's a synagogue, there's a Jew. Um, I don't know if that's a saying. I was making stuff up. But uh, that's, you would assume, yes, if there was a synagogue in Capernaum, there, there would have been a Jewish population there. Mm-hmm. But I probably would think that they would be somewhat, again, not looked as 
pure as those who were from the south, you know, closer to Jerusalem mm. where the heartbeat sort of was. So they, while there may have been Jews there, they may have gone, yeah, they're not quite like us though. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, that's a bit of speculation, but mm. there was that north-south divide that you see in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so we're still in Galilee. Yep. Did Jesus start his ministry in the Galilee of the Gentiles living in darkness because they wouldn't have known of any warnings of his coming from the prophecies and because he also wanted them to know that he came to save everyone, not just the Jews? Yeah, what do you think, Beck? Um, okay, to the first part of the question, um, did Jesus start his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles because they wouldn't have known the warnings? No, I don't think from the text that we can draw that conclusion. I think that it's pretty clear that it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah. Um, just as Matthew was demonstrating who Jesus was from the prophecies in the infancy narrative, so when yeah. all those things around Jesus' birth, um, when there was all those prophecies, he's doing the same thing here. Um, it's, it's a fulfillment of prophecy to show who Jesus is. Um, and I did do a little bit of reading about this because, as I've explained before to people, I'm a nerd and I like to research. <laughs> um, but uh, interestingly, the, the wording of the prophecy, the people, um, that word, um, the people living in darkness, was a word primarily used for Israel in the Old Testament. Mm. So it's not just about the Gentiles, this arriving in Galilee. It certainly is. It's foreshadowing that. But Jesus is also there for the Jews. Yeah. I mean, 4.14, I mean, I didn't highlight it on Sunday, but this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So, you know, uh, again, that fulfillment idea that Matthew keeps coming back to uh, is is prominent here. Mm. Um, Yeah. No, I love it, Beck. It's great. Um, Yeah. Go nerds. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, What about the second part of that question in terms of... um, is it to show that he's there to save everyone, not just the Jews, or is it just a nod? Yeah, I think yeah, I think what I said before um, applies. So he's there for the Jews and the Gentiles, but I think from other parts of Scripture, um, Jesus came for the Jews first and then the Gentiles, and so yeah. he's so yeah. That thing I said before about the people living in darkness probably refers more to Israel, but there's a definite foreshadowing of a ministry to Gentiles, just as there was in the genealogy as well yeah 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 absolutely so it's for everybody yeah Yeah. but the jews are really important to jesus as well and it is interesting don't you think that clearly with all the fulfillment passages that matthew keeps coming up that there's a jewish audience somewhat in mind predominantly Mm. Mm. uh but yet littered and we're we're, you know matthew's a long book it's 28 chapters We're only just finishing chapter four, Mm. but yet we've already seen lots of C's that Matthew's dropping in order to help us see he's got the Gentiles, he's got the nations Mm. in mind, Mm. uh, which is, I think, quite fascinating in terms of what's a predominantly Jewish audience. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, All right, so moving on from Galilee a little bit, we're going to look at um, Peter, Andrew, John and James, the disciples that Jesus calls in this passage. Um, So given that Galilee was a Gentile area, do we know if Peter, Andrew, John and James were Jews or Gentiles? Yeah, so um, my answer would be I'm pretty sure they're Jews. Mm, Um, uh, Even though they're there in a Gentile area, um, but as we've already established, you know, yes, there were there were Jews around, um, even though it was a 
predominantly Gentile region, um, given the sort of things that had, had happened in the past. Um, but uh, yeah, so Peter, I think, uh, yeah, I think they're all Jews. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what do we know about their families? Um, we know that Peter was married because of um, he heals, um, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, so presumably he was married. Yes. Um, do we know if the other disciples were married or had children? Um, well, we'll start with that. Did they have kids, the disciples? Um, were you doing some reading on this? I was. Oh, yeah, I know. I love my reading. <laughs> um, so I did do some reading on this, and the fellow who wrote the article had done a lot of research into the sort of um, socioeconomic culture, historical context at the time, and he suggests that the disciples probably did have young wives and young children um, at the time. And, um, yeah, so we can, we can speculate that that's probably the case. Hmm. Um, yeah, so was Jesus doing something bad then? Taking the dads away? Taking the dads away? Oh, well, the author of this article um, thought, yeah, it was a pretty big call for Jesus to, to take the dads away. It would, would have left the wives and children quite vulnerable. Um, so he said, you know, spare a thought when we praise the disciples for their faithfulness, for the wives and children who had no choice. And I thought, well, I don't think this man's a Christian because he doesn't <laughs> sound like he knows Jesus very well. Yeah. Because the Jesus that I read about in the gospel and God in the Old Testament is all about caring for the vulnerable, not about creating vulnerable people. Mm. Um, so it is, it is just very speculative. We don't know anything for sure. But I don't think that Jesus would be insisting that the disciples leave their families destitute. That just doesn't resonate with the Jesus I know. Yeah, yeah and I think that's right. I think it's a really helpful point. Um, while there's an emphasis here on these men and their actions, we're not necessarily told what happens with their mm. wives, children, if they mm. have them. Um, and But what we do know is the character of who Jesus is mm, yes. and how he behaves and the compassion and care that he has. I mean, we've just, it's, this passage finishes with, you know, all these people gathering around Jesus, you know, and they'll bring everyone, the sick, you know, the other bits and pieces. He, mm. he's, a, he's a caring figure. That's right. Um, so I think we can rest on that. I think so. I think, and I, I do want to say, I think these are really good questions because it really shows that people are, thinking a bit more broadly about the context and maybe have a heart for wives and children themselves totally. like, and, and the oppressed people because it wasn't a great place to be a, a woman or a child um, yeah. in Galilee at the time. So like, it's, it's a, it shows a real compassion in the question, but I think we can trust that Jesus is even more compassionate than we are. Absolutely. All right. So we'll st stick with the disciples for the moment, those, those four disciples. In our passage, um, it's pretty shocking that they suddenly dropped everything when Jesus just says, hey, come follow me. And they, they do. Mm. Um, and so the questions are sort of saying, is it possible these fishermen either knew Jesus or at least knew about who he was before this incident? It seems crazy. They would give up everything and just follow a complete stranger. Or perhaps that's the point. Um, and then the other question um, also suggests, I imagine Jesus already knew um, the fishermen before he called them. Um, yeah, so mm. let's take those two questions together. Yeah, great, great. Um, and uh, I think we're right. And this, you know, there are multiple questions on this. I think people, there's a feeling that sits underneath these, which, yeah. which I, I will, will investigate in just a moment. But 
Um, yes, there's more context than what Matthew gives us. Yeah. Uh, and so, which is why I went to Luke 5 on Sunday, because I wanted to, to show that there's, there's more going on uh, than Jesus just sort of walks by the sort of lake and says, hey, you, let's go, buddy. And they're like, oh, man, let's go. Yeah. Um, uh, and so Luke 5 gives us more context. John chapter 1 also gives us a bit more context um, because it talks about some of them and their relationship with John the Baptist mm. and uh, uh, and then sort of then going on and um, Peter sort of saying, hey, you know, I found someone who's the Christ. You should come and check him out. Uh, and that's his fishing partners, James and John. And so, yes, there's a, there's a greater context in terms of what's going on, but... It is interesting that Matthew doesn't give us that context. Mm. He just gives us, Jesus comes on the scene. His first words are repent. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he goes and gets people to follow him so they can go fishing for people. Mm. Like it's very, it is quite stark. Mm. And why does it Matthew give us the context like Luke does, like John does? And I think it's there to make us go, whoa, hang on, these guys just mm. gave up everything, left him and followed, yep. uh, and, and off they went. So, um, And I think that's what people are reacting to. Yeah, and I think that is the intention of Matthew. And um, the first question of this little bracket was perhaps that's the point. I agree. Yeah, I think that is the point. I think the abruptness of Matthew unsettles us. And I think Matthew's in the business of unsettling us throughout his gospel. So you've got um, you've got this abrupt call and they leave everything, including their wives and children, it would seem. Yeah. Um, and, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And so it really um, makes us think about, is Jesus worth it? Like is, it, yeah. like, is he worth leaving? Like, that makes, why does this make me feel uncomfortable? Sort of questions, well, who is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Yeah. Do I want to follow him? Um, yeah, so it is quite, I think it's unsettling on purpose. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, you know, the, the question of, is he worth following at that point? Is he worth giving up these things for? Um, and, you know, we... The point is emphasised in in Matthew of you know these people left everything mm. and followed mm. like it's it's there to stir a response in us yeah uh, and because I think as I, as I said on Sunday <laughs> um, uh, these people and how they follow are a model for us today yeah um, there is a sense in which uh, we need to ask ourselves the harder questions mm. of. Who is actually worthy of following? Mm. Is it Jesus? Is it the other things in our lives? Mm. What's going to bring satisfaction? Um, not that life's all about satisfaction, but we, that is one of the um, tests we use to sort of go, if I do that, is that going to, what's that going to do for me? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Matthew's asking us all those hard questions and mm. resting a little bit and getting under our skin. Uh, which is good. Yeah, because we see their response and we think, what would I do? Yeah. Knowing what I know about Jesus, will I follow him? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. So um, let's talk about flip, follow, fish. Yes, let's um, do it. And so we have a couple of questions about flip, flipping. Um, and just to clarify, flipping means repentance, so deciding to follow Jesus. Yep. Um does it matter what your motivation is for flipping or is there a right reason to flip? 
Yeah, so if we take flipping here to be repentance, which mm-hmm. is what, what my intention was with the with the flip, you know, turn your life around and turn and stop following another king and having Jesus as your king. Mm. Um, there's there's uh, I've got a theological answer firstly on it, and that is motivation uh, primarily comes from the work of the Spirit in your life. Uh, you don't repent without the Spirit at work within you. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, there's there's a primacy there in terms of sort of what needs to happen. Um, and, you know, uh, the primacy of the work of the Spirit is to regenerate you, to you know, to be born again. And the, the fruit and the evidence of that is repentance. Mm-hmm. And repentance, I think, is primarily connected to Jesus as Lord. Mm-hmm. Um to use the biblical language. And when you see him as Lord, you then repent. That's you know the appropriate thing. Whereas Jesus as Saviour means you put your faith in him. So mm. and I think those two aspects of repentance and faith, which are the, the I call them the twin towers of the Christian faith. Yep. Um, you, you need them both together. Um, and so when it comes to you, what's your motivation for repentance, I think Primarily, I want to go theological yep. and go, it's the Spirit who motivates us to do that. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to right reasons then and motivations, I don't know, what, have you got yeah, more I would, to add in there? I would agree that your motivation for the flip is that Jesus is Lord yeah. and put your faith in him. And it's Romans 10 verse 9, like if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So that's, there's your twin towers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I think that's really the only real motivation for a flip. Um, like if you were acting like a Christian because your parents are Christians and you want to get them off your back, I don't think that's a real flip. So so you can't flip without that, that Romans 10 verse 9 behind yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, I don't know whether the person asking the question is, you know, sometimes do we outwardly look for repentance to make ourselves fit in in church circles in church life mm. um, but inwardly not actually having that repentance towards Jesus Lord but yeah yeah I'll stop doing that mm. we didn't really go I'm not gonna stop doing that but if I say it out loud you know perhaps someone will have a hard combo with me and so on and so forth so mm. um, yeah I don't mm. know whether that is where they're going with that question. Yeah, I'm not sure. But if you if you want to know a bit more, if you're the question asker and you want to delve in more, um, come and talk to Dave. Yeah. Or, or me. Or, yeah. <laughs> or put another question in. Yeah, do. And uh, say, nah, you missed my point. Yeah. Because we don't know who's asking the questions. No. Uh, you're all anonymous to us. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So um, the next question, what are some examples of what we at Kellyville Anglican need to flip on? Yeah, this, this is a good question um, and really got me thinking. Um, and, and look, one of the things that I, I'm, I've been doing since I started is really thinking hard about what's going on at church for us. Uh, where sort of are we and what's going well, what's not going well. Uh, and I've got lots of thoughts. They're not necessarily all flip thoughts, mm-hmm. as in things we need to repent of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, but I do think one thing we need to keep working hard conviction-wise around uh, is our desire to reach the lost around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things I've been sharing at dessert nights, for those who have been along to them, is... Uh, 
the number of people who have been converted at Kellyville over the last number of years is quite low. Mm. Um, and so now I fully acknowledge that it's God's COVID work, right? Time as well. But it's God, it's COVID, it's God's work. Um, although mm. I, I know, you know, various churches I worked with um, during COVID plenty saw heaps of conversions mm. um, and so I don't necessarily want to say COVID's meant nobody's been spiritually hungry or God's not been at work yeah um, and so yeah I, I want to acknowledge that it's God's work to change hearts and minds but yeah. there's an intentionality from a church and the resources and how we think about it and what we want to do and so I'm not just saying it's a repentance issue for us yeah but I do think we need to work hard not only our convictions but in our resources and the, the time and energy we use um, to sort of... And where God's placed us yeah. and what's happening around us if we... And it's hard though, right? Like mm. most most churches drift inward than outward. Yes. Yeah. It's um, easy to do. Very easy. Particularly no. in a difficult season like the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. But it's time to reorient our focus and do some fishing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So there's one example. Yeah. Okay. No, that's really helpful. Um, so next question, Dave, you mentioned that for some people, the flip means quitting our job and pursuing full-time ministry. However, we also know that not everyone is meant for full-time ministry. What are some things to consider to see if full-time ministry is a calling for you? And is it sinful to not pursue full-time ministry, even if you may have some of those things? So there's a lot in that question. There's lots. There's um, lots in there. And I want to thank this person for listening carefully. Yeah. Uh, and, and feeling the, the challenge in there. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm keen for you to share back just on your own journey mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on for you, you know, with, with this question. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me start on Matthew chapter 9, which we'll get to um, hopefully sometime in the next five years. Um, <laughs> uh, and... You know, Matthew 9, Jesus goes through the towns and villages preaching good news. He sees the crowds. He has compassion. He says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Mm -hmm. And so we need to keep thinking uh, again together as a church collectively. Are there people amongst us who can be set aside, set outside of normal work, to pursue ministry in a full-time context. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more people like that, and we need it for the sake of the harvest. Uh, and we need people going off to Bible colleges, studying and you know, wrestling with God's Word and you know, going out there and working in churches. We need, we need people to do that. But as this person rightfully acknowledges that not everyone would do that, and I think it's mm. quite, gen- <laughs> quite gracious not everyone. I actually think you know, 96 97% of people in churches won't. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Mm. But the mindset that you bring to where you are and no matter where you are of seeing yourself there as a worker in the harvest field. Yeah. You just don't necessarily have the freedoms in terms of what you're set apart to be able to actually yep. achieve. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, there's a couple of quick thoughts, but I'm keen, what's, what's, what's your journey in here and your thinking around this question? Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I've always had a heart to, for vocational ministry. 
Um, but and when I was 18 I went to uni and became a speech pathologist and um, I was talking to a speech pathology friend of mine who's also a Christian after we'd graduated and I'm like oh I just don't feel like I'm doing enough for Jesus and she's a very wise young 22 year old Um, (laughs) and she said to me something I can't remember the exact words but I remember the general um, vibe of what she said which was, but Beck, you are doing kingdom work as a speech pathologist. Um, Because when we work, do our work well in God's world, because it's not, God's world just isn't just church. Um, God's world is, is everything. Like you're treating kids, you're helping them learn to communicate, you're undoing the effects of the fall in that sense. You're bringing God's kingdom to bear in your work. And I found that really encouraging at the time. And I realized that my thinking was too small. Um, and obviously also sharing the gospel in my workplace and like I have to say I'm not working as a speechy anymore and uh, I don't know as many non-Christians anymore so that's so I don't have that mission field like I Mm. like I once did Um, but I am actually at Bible College now and I'm just kind of following a path I had the opportunity to study um, when I was at a bit of a career crossroads and um, yeah, we were able to fund my study and for me not to work. So I just took the opportunity because it's something I always wanted to do yeah. um, at, at 39 years old. <laughs> um, so yeah, so for me, it was just following a path, following opportunities, having an inkling, this is something that I was interested in, but just following a path, like not waiting for a call or even under, I don't really understand what that language means. I'll be honest. I know yeah. other Christians are like really that is valuable to them, but I've never really experienced a call. I'm just following a path. I'm just following opportunities and trusting that God as sovereign, who's in yeah. control, will do something with that. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I don't think you're alone. Uh, I think there's others who have done similar things in terms of like, just going to go down this and and if there's the opportunities and that's where God wants me, then that's where he'll, he'll place me in that mm. as opposed to going, I've, I've had the call yeah. and now I'm sort of, I've got to go and you know, I'm going to go there no matter what. Mm. Um, it, they're, they're, they're quite different in mm. that. So, mm. um, yeah, no, thanks, thanks, thanks for sharing. I think that's really helpful uh, for people to hear. Um, the last thing in this question, yep. sinful to not pursue full-time ministry uh, if you have some of those things. I think I just want to clarify what those things are. Yep. Um, and uh, I think at night church, I talked about being a fat person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change it. I'm going to talk about having a fat lip okay. this time. Uh, and so it's an acronym just to put you at ease. Uh, we, yeah, I just say it rather than keep going out of park. I'm going to dig myself a hole back. I'm not going to be able to get out of it. Yeah, I'm wondering. <laughs> uh, so, we talk, so we talk about uh, F as someone who's faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who is available to do it, mm-hmm. someone who is teachable, uh, someone who can be in it for the long haul, mm-hmm. uh, someone I as in independent, they're a self-starter, they can do things on their own, uh, and P, that sort of perseverance piece mm-hmm. uh, that goes with it. So when we talk about those things, um, you know, most of them are somewhat character-based as opposed to I'm a brilliant upfront speaker, mm-hmm. I'm a great networker, mm-hmm. um, you know, or I can get people to come and, you know, become Christians and all, all those things are great and there's good competencies, but going into Christian ministry is primarily about character. Mm. Uh, and we see that littered throughout the scriptures. So um, I, I, I want to put out that I, I, have a, I have a heart to see uh, us lose good people. Mm. And that hurts, yep. but it means we also got to be raising up 
good people so that we can lose them for the sake of the kingdom. I got a real heart for us to be able to see that and make that happen amongst us. Mm. Uh, that's a long-term yeah. prospect for us. Yeah, it's a good goal. Okay, so the next question we have um, uh, is about fishing. Yeah, let's talk about fishing. Uh, I love this question because it's just really open and teachable, in fact. Mm. Um, what if you don't know how to fish? So you don't know how to evangelize. Where do you start? Yeah, great question. Uh, I like, yeah, like you, I really, I love the heart behind this question of like, give us some help. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and look, I think uh, there's no formulaic way to do this. Uh, there's there's different things you can do, but I think I'd want to primarily say, put someone on your heart and pray for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like genuinely commit to praying for that person. Um, and at some point, you have to have the boldness or courage to say, what do you think about Jesus? At, at some point, like it could be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it could be as simple as an invite along to church or maybe church is too big. You know, if we put on another event, that's a little bit of an easier invite to sort of come along. Mm-hmm. Um, but put, I think primarily for me, put someone on your heart and commit to praying for them regularly and ask that God would use you in that to, to bring them to come to know who Jesus is. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's worth going into lots of, you know, too many tips and tricks and because I don't think there are tips and tricks so to speak mm. it's just <laughs> how how much how much do you care for them and want them to know Jesus mm. will that will change your the way in which you see people mm. I don't know have you got any thoughts back I like I would say start with prayer as as well um, praying for opportunities praying for wisdom and all of those things um, but when you said before, ask them, what do you think about Jesus? Um, and then listen to what they say. Mm. What do you think about, like, where's the world headed? What happens when you die? Like, just be yeah. curious. Just ask them those really deep, like, meaningful questions, um, you know, when the opportunity arises. Um, and I think listening to the response will help give you a clue as to where to go next. Are they asking to difficult questions you don't know the answer to well then you got a bit bit more info on what to follow up um yeah yeah. and i think too like it's it's there is a care and a love question in there uh that at some point you've sort of got to trip over yourself and your own fears and we all have them uh Mm. and our insecurities behind it because for example if you if you drop five cents like you're running to the bus Five cents drops out of your pocket. Are you going back for it? Mm. For most people, no, because it's five cents. That's it. Uh, if you drop a hundred dollar note out of your pocket running for the bus, you're prepared to miss the bus to go back and search for it because it's got value. Mm. I think the same is true when it comes to our friends and our family who don't know Jesus. Um, if there's a love and a care there for them, they're closer to the hundred dollar note than the five cent piece. Yeah. Um, and you've sort of got to ask yourselves and ask ourselves the question, at what point am I willing to sort of, well, I call it sort of stretching the rubber band of the relationship. Mm, mm. Um, uh, but the other thing I shared, I think on Sunday night around this 
question was, um, research just came out uh, in terms of uh, people accepting an invite to come to church uh, if asked by a close friend or family member. And about 30% said yes, they will accept an invitation. So that's, that's, that's a pretty big proportion. That's one in three. And then another 15% said fifteen percent said they don't know what they'd say, yeah. um, which... Ice, let's, there con- maybe. Let's, let's convert that to a yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, that means you're almost half mm. um, in terms of, yeah, and look, that's, you know, research has just come out. So I think perhaps we're more scared of doing the ask than the person potentially is of receiving the invitation. And there was a couple of comments in the research that said, yeah, i got a friend who's a Christian and I actually wish they'd asked me <laughs> because I'd sort of like to go and check it out. And they're not very good at that aspect of, you know, and that was from a non-Christian, right? And yeah. someone who's in that 18 to 34 age bracket How too. interesting. So it is fascinating. So let's get out there and ask people, come to church as a beginning, as a beginning step. Um, all right. Uh, let's just it just this um actually seems like it relates to what you're just saying how do we do the how do we stretch the rubber band without rupturing the relationship yeah any tips on that um before we finish yeah sure so um i mean for me i don't know you 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 can chime in here back you keep stretching something continually at some point it's going to break yeah um but every now and then if you give it a stretch uh you're more likely to not break it um, and so I think using the wisdom, um, asking friends at some points, you know, in the sort of length of a relationship, uh, at some point having a Christian conversation with them, uh, even if it feels a little uncomfortable, yeah. uh, is, is not going to rupture a relationship. And if it's a genuine relationship that you have, they're a good mate, they're a good friend, um, asking them the question is not going to rupture that relationship, um, it, it might stretch it a little. Yeah. Um, but if they're genuine friend, they're going to love you for being who you are. And if that means you're a Christian and you differ on some uh, values uh, in society today, then that's okay. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, I've got a group of friends. We get together and play cards, you know, sort of once a term. And there are many, many different opinions and there's many different lifestyles around the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know that I'm, you know, I'm an Anglican minister. Uh, and, and we talk pretty openly and disagree and laugh at the end of the night and, you know, we go on with our lives and that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a sign of a good friendship that you yeah. can disagree and still respect each other. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's all we've got time for on our questions. Um, Dave, did you want to share what's happening next week at church? Yes. So uh, this Sunday where uh, the King Speaks... Uh, well, the king speaks more than he did last passage, um, is sort of where we're going. Uh, we're beginning the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're just starting to have a look, just at the first uh, half, really, of the um, of what's called the Beatitudes. Uh, we're not going to do them all. So, so we're just dipping our toe in the water. Okay. Uh, because the week after that is actually Compassion Sunday right. at Kellyville. So we've got the Compassion team coming. Um, and we've got a really exciting day planned with the Compassion Team. We've been working away behind the scenes the last couple of weeks on that, and I'm pretty excited uh, mm. about Compassion Sunday uh, on the 26th of June. But this, this Sunday, we're going to dip our toe into the Beatitudes and uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And again, when Jesus speaks, uh, the things we value are, again, flipped totally upside down. 
Mm, more unsettling for us. More unsettlement to come. Is that a word? Unsettlement? Oh, let's go with it. We know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. The speech pathologist. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking that as a win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, everyone. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Thanks. Bye.